When you're trying to mount a a substantial defense in a high-profile case, you know, there are a lot of things bandied about between between the defendant and, and their attorneys. And certainly they can be trivial uh, conversations or they can be pretty substantial and important and have wide-ranging ramifications one way or the other. And that's what we're seeing now in the Jennifer Crumbly case. And And when you open up your defense and your defendant to the, the stand, the witness stand, you open them up for your own question and answer, and you're able to hopefully, in the defense's mind, frame what what you're trying to to accomplish, whatever that that story or scenario or situation is, um, and that could be a benefit. The negative, certainly, is then you open them up for cross examination. Prosecution is able to come in and take a bite out of that apple. And 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 certainly additional pieces of evidence are able to be put into the record. And that may not be something defense attorneys would would want to gamble with. Right. You might not want to take that chance. But at some point, you hope that that gamble pays off. And I think that's kind of where we're at with the Jennifer Crumbly decision to take the stand in her own defense case. Uh, Birmingham defense-based attorney Wade Fink joins us to help us break down the the pros and cons of something like this. Wade, it's good to have you. Chris, thank you. I appreciate you inviting me on and happy to join. Now, I I know you're not involved in this case in any capacity, but you've got a a 5,000-foot view like like the rest of us. What what was your initial reaction when you heard that Jennifer Crumbly was going to take the stand in this case? You know, I appreciate the the initial qualifier because it's true, you know, it's, it's hard to, um, you know, uh, uh, offer an assessment of another attorney's choices when you're not in the thick of it and know all the ins and outs. So w- with that qualifier, just talking broad generalities, I was quite surprised, uh, to be honest with you. Um, and you said it when you were giving kind of an opening to this whole situation. You're, a gamble is true, but a gamble also implies that there's upside, right, that there's, there's some benefit to you. To doing it, and I just don't see that in this case. This case, for me, um, Chris, really is not about the emotions or the personality or whether Jennifer Crumbly's liked or not. I, I think that's an uphill battle for the defense. This is really a legal question: Can she be held responsible for the actions of her son, despite what she may have done wrong or not done as a parent? And that's a very technical legal question where I don't think you should be focusing on. Um, you know, her her sympathetic appeal to the juror, but rather should this prosecution even have occurred, if that makes sense. Well, sure. And and you look, you know that, that this this is a, a precedent setting case. James's uh, uh, hearings as well will be, will be precedent setting, too. And so it, it's almost like the burden of proof is going to be on the prosecution. It feels like a very uphill battle when. When you have to prove malice or intent or that that these parents had a direct role in the deaths of four students at Oxford High School, even though they never pulled a trigger. And so it it almost feels like you'd want to keep that burden of proof on the prosecution. Exactly right. Exactly my read from again from afar. But that's exactly my read as well. Look, um, I don't think based on the preliminary exam and what we know is in evidence 
I don't think you're going to find many reasonable people, certainly not a lot of reasonable parents, who think that uh, Jennifer Crumley was a good mom, right, that she wasn't neglectful in a lot of ways, that she didn't do things that we expect parents to be better about. I mean, some of these text messages, even after the fact, that, that are coming out today, uh, the narcissism to care about only herself, her horses, her well-being, um, you know, I just don't think you're going to find a lot of people sympathize with that. But what they may sympathize with, and I certainly do, not only as a defense lawyer but as a parent, is the, the concept that um, you can be held to account for such a uh, such a, 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 a tragedy for something so out of the realm of possibilities in most parents' minds. I mean, there's a lot of troubled kids who parents give their best efforts. Uh, to 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 be good and to be good parents and be there for their children, and sometimes it's just hard to overcome whatever the the problem may be. So holding a parent to account for the intentional evil doing of their of their child, I mean, there's a there's a real debate to be had there. But I just I think that's where the debate should be, and not whether Jennifer Crumbly is going to convince a jury of her peers that somehow she wasn't. She was you know a great mom and she had. Uh, no idea when the prosecutor cross-examines her. I think that's going to be difficult to, to show. I agree. I mean, again, I think you said the key word, and it's the jury. I mean, everybody on the outside can have their own opinion on the type of parent that James and Jennifer Crumbly were to their son. But at the end of the day, I mean, it, it, it really, it's going to depend on what that jury thinks. And and it's not just whether or not they were good parents. It's whether or not they were their their parental compass was so misguided that it that it not only played a role in Ethan's you know what i what i would deem to be a mental degradation of of his faculties but but even more so the 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 actual willingness participation from a parent and i think that's where they're going to have a difficult time this would be precedent setting do you feel like from a defense there is a defense do you feel like there is a strong enough case here to keep James and Jennifer out of prison? Or do you feel like the prosecution being as bullish as, as Karen McDonald was and continues to be that they've got the goods on the Crumblies? You know, it's a, it's a question that I've struggled with since the first you know interview I've done on this case. I did a, a you know, lengthy discussions about this. And I've always said that if I viewing this case, I would always focus on what we've been talking about right now, Chris, and that's causation. Did the did the conduct or omissions right by uh, Jennifer and James cause the, the the deaths of these children? And that's where the focus should be. And where I'm seeing this trial focus is more so on personalities and whether you know they did anything wrong in the first place, mm-hmm. keeping the gun in a way that was accessible, buying the gun, seeing that that math paper that they're most certainly going to put in her hands during cross-examination and the reason i'm saying that is to answer your question and that's i think there is a good defense here but i think it should have been laser focused on the idea whatever you think of their actions or their abilities as parents there is no way they could have possibly foreseen Mm. that he would do something so evil and it breaks their heart and it breaks them as humans and they are struggling with it every day i mean that's where i would be laser focused yeah and so far so far with the taylor swift lyrics and the uh, Jennifer Crenley is going to testify. I'm seeing a, uh, uh, a, a narrative that I just, you know, from, a, from afar, of course. I, I leave open to the fact there's things I might not know yet. Yeah, I um, scratch but, my head, too, with the Taylor Swift uh, uh, 
lyric. I thought that was a bit strange, uh, but but we're certainly focusing on things that just. Yeah. Don't. No. No. Focusing on where where I wouldn't focus. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Your question. It gives. It gives. It gives the prosecution a chance to put that math paper in her hand and. Yeah. And and, you know, really drive home these facts. Wade Fink, appreciate the insight. Don't be a stranger. We'll talk again soon. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Yeah, you do the same. I want to go out to Paul and Brighton. He's got some thoughts on this case. What's up, Paulie? Yeah, I agree. I agree with your guest there. I have a friend who's a a retired defense attorney, public Mm -hmm. defender here in Brighton. I asked him just a couple months ago, I said, what was your record? And I said, was it 40, 50 percent? And he said, oh, no, I did much better than that. I did 75, 80 percent. I said, Mm -hmm. 75 or 80 percent you got off? He said, yeah. I said, then how many of your clients do you think were guilty? He said, oh, 90 (laughs) percent. I said, you got 75 or 80. I said, how would you do, how would you deal with the problems? He said, I don't think I'd have any problem at all. And it's, it's just like, it's colossally stupid to put either of them on the stand just yeah. for the reasons you pointed out. Because as I wrote, I published an article here in the local papers uh, when it happened, is that the laws were insufficient to hold them responsible. There's right. nothing they should have done by the law. Well, and, and I again, I think the defense's biggest... Biggest weapon, maybe that's a bad choice of words, biggest uh, uh, benefit is that the prosecution bears all the burden of of proof. The prosecution, they have to do all the the hard work, the heavy lifting to get to get this jury to believe that they are guilty of manslaughter. And I think that's where the real issue lies, not with Jennifer Crumbly taking the stand. Got to take a break. 